listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and slowly and sadly taking 100 candles out of the royal birthday cake. (laughs) (laughs) Rip. Um, I mean, he... I don't think he was ever going to make it to 100 anyway, but I've always oh, been Oh, wait, Evie, belief. context. Who are you talking about? Oh, do we really need to, like... <laughs> yeah, all right. For the international listener, Prince Philip's corpse died. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's like the Osama Bin Laden thing in that, like, they finally announced that he died, but he's been dead for... I reckon he's been dead for months, if not years, and they just decided... Oh, totally. To, like, oh, okay, now's the time to pull the trigger on it. Okay, the, cool. That picture of him in the car, he's been dead for so long. He's <laughs> the just car picture's so good. <laughs> You know, they say that he lived his life like a candle in one of those, like, vaults that they use to make sure that antique books stay in good condition. (laughs) I just realised we should have done a bit announcing his death in the same way that um, the newsroom did Osama bin Laden's death on the plane. Have you have you seen that segment? So basically, oh, where he looks at the guy's little um, lapel pin and he's like, "Wait a second, this guy's serving in our beautiful armed forces. I'm gonna give him the news. We got. We should have just said we got him. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> Breaking news on the podcast this morning. We did it. <laughs> You're welcome, Australia. <laughs> I love also that um, every newspaper and like TV channel and stuff is is somehow being forced at gunpoint by Buckingham Palace guards to do like these sob story puff piece front pages of like oh we stand a king you know true. <laughs> Did you see Peter Fitzsimmons of the Australian Republican movement? Posting condolences to Prince Philip. Like, dude, you of all people don't need to simp, man. My my favourite bit on the whole thing was them using, like, photos of a younger, snazzier Prince Philip from 30 years ago. And the cunt's 75 still. Like, <laughs> I, saw, I saw somebody showing a, a youthful picture of him as, like, an in-memoriam thing and somebody observing, like, it's funny how they had to go back to black and white to find a photo yeah. of him where he looked alive. Yeah. There was also the photo of him with the Nazis in 37 in a black and white photo, uh, so, you know. I, I, I'm not going to say anything defamatory, but... Why? He's dead. No, not about that. Rita Panahi oh. posted a picture of <laughs> Prince Philip um, and said, oh, he was a handsome a handsome oh, man, wasn't he? God. In the picture, he is 13 years old. Uh. <laughs> just just saying I emoji now. I'm not saying anything else, okay? <laughs> That's weird. But in her defence, that was a really nice hieroglyphic. <laughs> she t- she posted a photo of him when photography was invented. <laughs> Some shout out to lead off the pod this week. Top stuff. Uh, there was a rally yesterday to protest uh, against the death of Indigenous Australians in police custody. There have been five in the last month, and thousands of people turned up in capital cities all across Australia. Yeah, was, good job. Good stuff. Got to keep protesting. It was marking the 30th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody yep. that came out that, you know, all the recommendations still haven't been I- enacted. Um, uh, there's been walking pace progress over the last three decades since they were like, this is a problem and we should do something about it. And the response has been, should we do something about it from the government? Um, and so just continuous rallies. This is uh, another one in a stretch. But yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was good to see. I-, I like the way that you described it, Tom, because it really is like that upward inflection question mark for the last 30 years over 300 recommendations made in 1991. And so, just, it's so, so many, 470 deaths in custody since the it's commission. Fucked. It's it's so fucked. <laughs> and just a shout out as well to, and this is my personal hero, Emma Kearney of the North Melbourne Women's Football Club, who last week at their first 
uh, qualifying final, took a knee during the national anthem in recognition of Aboriginal deaths in custody. Uh, thank you for doing that, Emma. Um, yeah, got a lot of blowback, as you can imagine, from various vlogs on social media. Um, but she also went on to the Outer Secondum podcast to talk about it. And she, this is just a direct quote from her where she said, "This is there's still a number of deaths in custody of our First Nations people, so to bring conversation back into the spotlight was a big reason to take the knee. So shout out to that. Also at the the we were at uh, Mitch and I were at the the Melbourne rally and um uh, just at, at one point during the talks Lydia Thorpe uh, the 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 uh, Indigenous uh, Green Senator uh, pointed out that the Parliament building behind us was flying the flags at half mast to mourn Prince Philip, uh. including the Aboriginal uh. flag. Oh fuck, that's fucked. That's so Yeah, bad. she she was like, did they seek permission from the Indigenous Nations to? Uh, fly their flag at half mast to mourn the man that colonized them. But it's just, it's fucked. A bunch of people have also just like gone off on Twitter as they do, just like what Emma Kearney copped. Of um, the one that I saw this morning actually was some fucking big nerd talking about like, oh, it turns out Lydia Thorpe doesn't understand protocol. It's actually not possible for a flag to be flown above the Australian flag. So if it gets lowered to half mast, all of the other ones have to go down too. And it's like it doesn't change yeah. physics, you fucking idiot. Like it's a choice. It's just, that's just protocol. You can you can do a thing. Yeah, whose fucking protocol is that? Yeah, exactly. Every time someone goes on about protocol or legality or something like that in response to a like you know a moral slight mm. like that, yeah, I'm just like, shut up. Laws don't matter in it's this just, instance. Yeah, I yeah. saw somebody because uh, Lydia Thorpe uh, on that same vein. Somebody responding to Lydia Thorpe being like, "Well, you swore allegiance to the Queen when you took your seat in Parliament, and you've broken that allegiance now, and you should resign." <laughs> like, oh my god! <laughs> she's not going to resign, mate. She's <laughs> what the fuck? You no. check, mate. Lydia Thorpe does not believe in the supremacy of the British Crown. Uh, <laughs> got her there. Uh, bring back Oops. high school bullying for these people in their forties. Shut up. Yeah, yeah I want to flush that guy's head down a toilet. <laughs> I was a nerd in high school myself, so you know. I'm allowed to say uh, this. <laughs> yeah, I'm allowed. I, I'm reclaiming my own friggin' legacy. My dad Jesus. was a nerd, so I <laughs> got a proud nerd heritage. These people going at Lydia Thorpe probably were high school bullies, so. If you yeah. if you bring back high school bullying, they'll be like, "Great, let me get my bullying hat." No, I'm just gonna reverse. We're not bullying. bringing back high school bullying. We're just bringing back bullying them. <laughs> <laughs> when the government finally admitted Rebidet was unlawful uh, back in November, they kept it running anyway, <laughs> uh, and a. <laughs> A report by the Government Services Ombudsman that came out on Tuesday this week was like, why the fuck did you do that? <laughs> it was unlawful. You were like, we found out it's unlawful. Why didn't you stop it? And Services Australia responded that pausing all debts may have caused greater confusing during this time because people who were not owed a refund would have their repayments frozen and then reinstated like, ooh. <laughs> it's better to keep these illegal debts going so people don't get confused as opposed to stopping the illegal debt. Yeah. Oh, we're accidentally recovering a lot of money from people who don't owe us money. But if we stop doing that, what would happen? Maybe we might pause the repayments of somebody who do owe us money. And that's a lot worse. I think it's fair. Fuck you. I think it's fair because, <laughs> because in his defense, if Centrelink... Uh, and Services Australia suddenly stopped being huge cunts and started helping poor people. Everyone would be like, wait, what? Is this a trick? I'm confused. Are you sure you don't want to, like, take more of my money? Oh, you just want to give me money? I don't know, man. This is weird. I think people would be confused. I'd like, this is just, like, the usual thing of, like, that we make a joke about occasionally, which is that um, when a government realises especially a right-wing government, realises that actions don't actually have any consequences anymore, they're just going to keep on doing it. They're just going to be mm-hmm. like, sorry, not sorry. Like, I'm going to keep on taking your money. <laughs> well, this is the thing that got me about this story, was that usually there's a little bit of complication in there that we sort of need to explain or give context to, and this is just black and white. <laughs> it's, it, you, it, we, it was illegal. But you kept doing it. Yeah. And because that is what you said, Evie, coming off the back of just like, oh, we can do this and there's no consequence. Oh, well, what if we try this? Oh, no consequence again. Let's keep trying this. No consequences again. And just, yeah, it it gets to this point where they're just like, 
yeah, it is illegal, but what are you going to do to us, though? Yeah. Really? I mean, once you're the government, they're like, hey, that's illegal. They're like, yeah, reckon I will anyway, though, because, like, who are you going to tell? The government. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. We own do you know what them. else is illegal? War crimes hasn't stopped us. <laughs> there's, a, there's a cop right there. They're like, hey, cop. Is it, can I keep doing this? The cop's like, I don't give a shit. He's like, all right. The then. cop's like, you indigenous? No, go for it, mate. <laughs> Fucking hell. But speaking of the government, just funneling money upwards in a way that has no concern for either the laws or the people that it hurts or anything ethical. Um, a big thing that's been coming out over the last week, or I suppose accelerating over the last week, this has been a problem for a while, is changes to the NDIS that the government wants to make. It's the National Disability Insurance Scheme. It's the fund that gives people money uh, if they're disabled and can't work. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, it was, you know, started as a way to help people who need help from the government. And the mm. Liberal Party looked at that and went, well, that's not that doesn't making like us money. Thing. I can't, mm. yeah, I can't rot that. There's no grift involved. How about I go ahead and fuck it up? So, what's been coming out recently is a whole bunch of leaks and freedom of information requests showing that the current Liberal government are trying to overhaul NDIS as, as much as they can. And the controversy has come about because they're not including any of the state and territory disability ministers, mm. um, nor are they engaging um, disability groups, advocates, whatever else. And this is important because the one of the main things about the NDIS is that initially, as conceived, state and territory ministers have essentially a veto power. The, the federal government has to work with the states and territories on changes to the NDIS, which was essentially just like a stop, gap or stop check against federal powers. And these leaks have been coming out about all these ministers being furious at uh, who was at the time one of the, the Minister for Disability. Stuart Robert, recurring character, um, was essentially like, you know, overhauling stuff, giving himself God powers, doing all these horrible things, which we'll get to in a minute. But the thing that was insane to me was that these leaks were of a group chat that all the ministers are in together. Oh, the worst Which group is, chat in existence. Can you imagine being in that group? Truly, oh. imagine the kind of bullshit memes in there. <laughs> <laughs> the boomer level memes. Oh. They would be fucking screenshotting their own emails that they get and putting them in the Still chat. Still using impact font, like... <laughs> Yeah, and so like it's been it's been fucking weird that like because this podcast came out of a group chat. Imagine if all the state, territory, and federal ministers for disability started a fucking podcast because of their group chat. I hate it. Uh, we've got I enough podcasts that politicians run. Yeah. They're all horrible. <laughs> um, so yeah, some of these leaks came out showing that Stuart Robert was um, uh, that he's up to like it, apparently around eighty drafts of like of how they want to change the NDIS legislation. And these federal, the state and territory ministers haven't been involved at all. Uh, one member, Emma Davidson uh, from the ACT, said that she would combust from rage and she had to log off and do something productive for a weekend as opposed to like trying to get answers from him in the group chat. I mean, same, and, but. I know, yeah, right. That's the only sensible thing I've heard about the internet in a long time. That's a big mood, as the kids say. <laughs> and and this is just like part of this reporting as well has been about how when all of this came out and the ministers wanted answers, Stuart Robert just left them on red in a group chat only to come in when he was shuffled out of that portfolio to say, hey, guys, I'm leaving the group chat. And then for Linda Reynolds, who's now been given that portfolio, to go, hey, I'm in the group chat. And then she left them on red too because she's not answering any of their fucking questions about any of the horrible shit they're trying to do. But it, it sounds, Mitch, like they have basically gone, RoboDebt went pretty well. Um, yep. <laughs> it was illegal. We've wasted literally billions. It's an embarrassment on the world stage and everyone involved should be in jail. Let's put those same people in charge of disability insurance and do basically the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're repeating the hits. Uh, there's a thread from uh, Dr. Kathleen Flanagan who has explained very succinctly, I think, what these changes mean for participants. I'm just going to quote her directly. In plain language, the NDIS is becoming like Centrelink. They're saying to participants, one, we will give you the smallest amount of support we can get away with. 
Two, to get this support, you will have to endure humiliating, exposing, dehumanizing processes over and over again. Three, we will mine your pain and distress for data and weaponize this data against you. Four, we will assume from the start that you will do the wrong thing and we will use surveillance and scrutiny to punish you in advance. Five, if you make a small mistake, however innocently, we will make you pay. And six, and we will remind you through the tone of every one of our interactions with you just how insignificant you are. Just yeah, this yeah. is this is this is the mo now for every single sort of welfare scheme. They've decided that it works with Centrelink with RoboDebt, and they're going to do it with NDIS, <clears> and <throat> that's just how it's going to be now. And let's not forget that the peop- the the architects of RoboDebt almost faced consequences, but fucking Bill Shorten and Gordon Legal just decided to settle out of court for like eighty bucks per victim. Thanks, guys. Instead of actually following through on a case that was a mm. slam dunk. And that means that all these people continue to have jobs, continue to be in government, and continue to make decisions like this that make people's lives worse. Yeah. So, I just want to go over some of the stuff that they are proposing, just at least for context. And I think this is important because usually we cover things like once they've sort of happened, but this this is one I just want to want to get ahead of and in our own very little way, just bring um, like illumination, illuminate the issue and- get people angry about it. Um, there's like, in my mind, it breaks down into like three distinct um, things that they that they want to sort of do. So there, there is that debt recovery power, which we mentioned, like RoboDebt, where they want essentially the NDIS to be able to raise debts against people if they find that they've spent their disability support money on things that maybe they shouldn't have, or maybe that they don't deem it to be proper or whatnot. Um, uh, which is just... Which is just fucking craving. Just, I mean, at the very fucking least, if you really want to get all economics brain about it, just leave it as like a, a sunk cost and change it later, maybe. Like, don't raise debts on people that qualify the NDIS, you fucking monsters. Hmm. Um, the, the thing yeah. about... Like, it's just... That's fucking gross. Another thing that they want to do is, um, and they've been doing trials on this already, is get people on independent assessments to see if they qualify for NDIS payments and by how much they should get. It's yet more of that micromanaging of the fucking, the payment system and means testing people. So at the moment, as you would fucking imagine, if you go onto the NDIS or if you are wanting to get on there, you presumably have doctors and caseworkers and specialists who you already work with. And those people are qualified. And then they give reports to the government and the government goes, oh yeah, you're a doctor and you're saying this person is in need of X. Here you can have X. And the liberal fucking government at the moment under Scott fucking Morrison are really into the idea of taking that away from people and instead sending people out. Uh, this is a quote from a um, from The Guardian. They want people on the NDIS DIS to undertake a mandatory interview of about three hours with an outsourced government contracted allied health professional. And that person does a bunch of like yes or no questions and they put answers into their iPad and then they fuck off and then they tell you, oh, yep, you do or do not qualify for stuff. There was a person on the NDIS who was interviewed for the Signal podcast from the ABC. This guy runs his own business. He's on the NDIS and he has autism. And they sent a fucking physiotherapist to do the independent assessment. Yeah. One of the questions is, can you catch a bus? It's like, that doesn't mean anything. They've said like some people out there are quite capable of doing that thing. Some people can catch their bus. They have systems set up and they have like received help so they can catch the buses that they need to. But are you asking if they can do that for their needs or if they were, if something unexpected happened, could they catch a bus? Some of them can't. No, no, so how it's do you a yes or no that? question, Mitch. Ha ha ha. You're adding way too much to it. I think it's worth pointing out that the NDIS, even before these revisions, is really, really not perfect. And even if you have a whole group yeah. of like caseworkers and professionals, there's no guarantees that they will even understand or care to understand your case. That, that, well, mm. well before any of this sort of um, stuff is even, uh, you know, going down, that the NDIS itself is already plagued with problems and it, it, it's going to sound sort of tautological, but it's not a good time to have a disability in Australia. Mm. Like, it, it's very difficult. Yeah. But these changes of going from, like, even in theory, having somebody who actually knows you and has an understanding of the condition that you're, you know, burdened with is, is like, what if instead of doing that, we put whoever. Well, I think I think the stance is that if currently people are getting money out of the government to support them, 
um, th there's something wrong there. Like these doctors must be giving them too easy a time. They, we've, we've got to somehow tighten the screws because every bit of money that's, that's leaking back to needy Australians is a, a policy problem to the government. Um, yeah, and so the they go, Absolutely. we need to spend possibly billions of dollars setting up systems that will claw that money back and punish people for daring to try and get it. It's the same thing that they always do with, like, you know, how there's uh, good unemployed and bad unemployed. And they want to means test the shit out of it and just they want to broaden the net of who counts as bad. And same, they're doing the same thing with people with disabilities. There's yeah. bad disabled people and good disabled people. They would it's cut fun. them all oh. off if they <laughs> Hold could. On. But I don't think they think there's good disabled people. Yeah. Well, you don't. <laughs> but that's, that's but the thing. I think the government would cut off everybody if they could, but they know that, yeah. unfortunately... Everyone understands that some people are disabled and need money. The government's just like, all right, fine. Fine. We will pretend to agree with you that some people need help, but by God, we will make it so difficult for them to get it. So we can tell most Australians that, yes, we're helping the needy, but in actual fact, they're helping as few people as little as possible because they would friggin' just love to help nobody. So the third main power that they are trying to put into like this redraft of the NDIS is the fucking scariest one is that they want to give the minister in charge of NDIS god power what some what's sometimes called the Henry VIII powers which is essentially the ability for the federal minister to individually decide on a change to the legislation that the NDIS has to follow or, uh, or a specific case has to be given payments or taken off payments or um, an interpretation of the legislation has to be followed a certain way. Like, it is broad and sweeping and fucking terrifying, especially because when you think about, like, Stuart Robert was in charge of this uh, until not that long ago. He is the person you may have heard getting out there talking about how, uh, you know, we don't we don't think, this isn't a direct quote because he uses outdated terminology, but we don't think people on NDIS should be able to use those funds to engage the services of sex workers. It's just, oh, that's not what we want the Commonwealth funds to be used on. Despite the fact that we know that people in Parliament do use sex workers during fucking office hours, you fucking gronk, like this like horrible moralizing bullshit tone that he took about like oh I just don't I just don't think that should be it's not appropriate not appropriate use of the funds ma, 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 ma. Mm. he wanted then to also give himself the ability to just make that law and he could just do that in these types of draft legislations and and it, it, it's it's terrifying in the context of our of the fact that our immigration minister already also has these types of powers the immigration minister can just veto any potential visa or, or groups of visas, they can just... If, if, if ASIO says that someone shouldn't be allowed in because they're a genuine terror threat, the immigration minister can just go, nah, actually give them a visa. Like, huge, huge powers to put into someone. Like, at the moment, there, there was articles from a couple of years ago talking about how the powers of the immigration minister in some ways means that they hold more power than like the attorney general and the prime minister mm. because of just how little oversight there is. And now they're just like, oh, what if we just do that as well in another portfolio? And, and this is in a context of like, this is giving much more sort of uh, unchecked power to people that cannot and should not be trusted no. with anything to execute yeah. any task competently or in the interests of anyone but themselves. Like the the the... the, the the whole government is a fucking series of useless scam artists and they are just working on ways to secure more power for themselves constantly. The government's a pyramid scheme at this point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it really yeah. feels like a, like a, our entire government is just Herbalife. <laughs> Actions this week don't pay fucking taxes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, but Stuart Roberts no longer in this role. It's Linda Reynolds now. Who? Oh, we're um, good then. Yeah. yeah, Linda Reynolds yeah. is the one who, after she called Brittany Higgins a lying cow, which shows that she is the kind of person who who is looking out for the welfare of the needy and will believe people um, when they say they need things. Um, Lang, it really just sounds like you hate to see a girl boss winning. <laughs> I hate to see this girl boss winning. Um, <laughs> she was called out on that very hard by all parts of society, rightly so. And then she went on medical leave. Oh, just. Oh, just cause. 
it's it's not to avoid things. <laughs> I just decided I needed some medical leave, which I guarantee is paid for by us. Oh yeah, she she apparently had a heart condition. Oh, yeah. Um, the worst kind of heart condition that it's possible to get, which is the kind that doesn't kill Linda Reynolds. <laughs> oh, I thought oh, you were going to go a lot softer and saying that it's like the worst type of heart condition is where there isn't one. It's just yeah. an empty cavity where it should be. Yeah. Um, no, so you if- went for the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, she... I mean, this is not unique in her party, but she opposed the Medivac bill very strongly, uh, which was like, hey, maybe people who need urgent medical help should get it. That was the bill. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Fuck. So she's really the kind of humanitarian we need in this role. And I, for one, would not trust her as far as I could throw her. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, it's terrifying, fucked and disgusting. At the moment, it's still just uh, drafts and we're not, you know, we're just, mm. you know, it's just looking at it and we're seeing what we can do. Um, so, you know, call their offices, um, keep listening to shit, keep getting angry, tweet about it because apparently politicians really respond well to hashtags but like it's just i don't know it to me it is both like craven and ghoulish in the way that we've come to expect but just scary because this is how more authoritarian style regimes take over is just by small little bits if we start thinking it's like oh the god powers are limited to the person who's in charge of disability well, it's not that big a deal it's not yeah. that big a thing it's like no Why this is they need this, this is like- how it works Dictatorial yeah. emergency power shit. There's no reason they should have that in that role. For equality is what they're saying. They want to cut down on people abusing this, this and 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 that's unfair. And Lang, you know, with money, uh, oh, yeah. it's but also you know, <laughs> the government um, is skinned. I mean, they don't have cash to throw around. Yeah, I think that's the main theme for for this episode. Is the government really can't just be giving money to anybody though. All right, here's an example of something the government couldn't afford, but did. They paid $1.4 billion over the last five years for detention on Nauru. $1.4 billion. $1.4 billion to a private company. And the Nauru island currently has uh, a little over 100 refugees. um, And they're not in a detention set. Like, it's not... They're not, like jailed up they're allowed to like leave the detention and go around the island and and whatever they can't like get jobs or engage in anything really because they're not part of Nauru they're still like detainees but they've just kind of got accommodation so to to put that in into to break that down 1.4 billion dollars for a little over 115 refugees um is about ten thousand dollars per day per person Paid by the Australian taxpayer. Over five years, 115 refugees. I just pulled out my calculator. $2.4 million a year per refugee. And these guys are getting tents, basically. And shacks and presumably not like five course meals that you could get with $10,000 a day. These guys, we're spending more on these refugees than we are on probably politician salaries. We could put these refugees up in Kirribilli for this fucking price. <laughs> Let's keep in mind, we're keeping Jesus them Christ. on offshore detention, quote unquote, to torture them so they're an example to other asylum seekers to not come here by boat because you can't be resettled and it's not a good scene. What if instead, oh, I don't know, we got them into the community and we got sure. them- jobs and we got them settled and we made them feel good and we gave them support and we treated them like fucking human beings let's let's put them into the community and let's hire what's that 24 caseworkers each at a hundred thousand dollars a year salary we'd be saving money i mean and and all these are really old arguments um that we we have hashed out before obviously it's the whole offshore detention thing is dumb as hell. But the crazy thing is that this is a $1.4 billion contract that was awarded without tender to Canstruct, which is a Liberal Party donor. I'm sure that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> this is all happening behind closed doors. They just chuck money at at their mates to make foreign people miserable. But if there is just an inkling that we might have to support the needy, nah, nah, sorry, sorry, there is no budget for that. You know that Dr. Kathleen thread that I read earlier? I can't stop thinking about it because it is literally that same sort of 
basic process of mm-hmm. humiliating people in need has mm. been applied so often that literally that entire thread just applies to how we treat asylum seekers in this country. Yep. It's yep. literally oh, like sure. how, like you know, you know the the old um, uh, the old verse. First, we came for the the communists and the socialists. Like it's just like that. It's mm. just the the the, the oh, chilling yeah. effect of how we treat the most vulnerable in our society, um, and it just goes further and further. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I think about constantly. It's just the fact that it's like, look, you know, thanks to the the way that the 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 Australian government treats refugees. You know, a few years ago, the the children who were in in detention were uh, displaying resignation syndrome, which is basically when oh, you you yes. switch a child's soul off. Right, like that. It, it's it's fucked up, cursed knowledge to even know that that exists, and our government was inflicting it on children. That's like, that's the fundamental question: Would the Australian government kill a child if it was politically advantageous? Yes. Yes. Unambiguously, they yes. They have. They have, and, and they will so, do it again. Whenever you think about just like anything that's like, oh, would they do it though? Are they really bad enough people to do that? Yes. Mm. Yes, they are. Yep. Yes. They'd- when we compare that, we compare them to Nazis on the show fairly often because it's literally just lack of opportunity. Mm. Like, th- there's not any moral difference mm. between the government of Australia and the Nazi Party, and I-, I say that with full knowledge of how horrible the Holocaust and everything was. If you put the people in this current government into that situation, they would do it. They would go along with it. Guaranteed. Yeah, it's not even a question because, like, at the moment, they are testing the circumstances of what people will tolerate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool, fun, comedy podcast. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's also that thing. Like, not only is it the thing of what they do to immigrants and refugees is what they would do to everybody if they could get away with it, um, but it's also that classic thing of, oh, we can't be spending money on refugees because we need to look after our own. But they don't want to look after their own. Um, or they would put money into unemployment and disabilities and whatnot. They don't want to look after anybody. Mm. They Except don't, their donors. <laughs> Except they, their donors. Yeah, they, they don't even want to look after each other. In the Liberal Party. Like, they're just there to get their own as best as they sort of can. And then if you have that mentality and then you're given a portfolio and put in charge of stuff, of course that leaks out. Like, these are the type of fucking people we have running the government at the moment. Craven criminals. And that's absolutely the thing. Brittany Higgins, Liberal staffer, as soon as anything bad happens, if they can get away with it, they will wash their hands of the whole thing and cover it up. They're not even looking after the Liberal Party. You can point to them being like, oh, everyone's, you know, like covering up for Christian Porter and everyone's, you know, like making sure that, uh, you know, all kinds of people like never face consequences. That is a different thing where they're like, oh, we need to make sure that the avenue by which we face consequences is closed tight. (laughs) Because if one of us faces consequences, everyone faces consequences. But as soon as somebody's outside that little fence, they're just like, yeah, enjoy the lions, mate. No one's going to turn on Peter Dutton because he has all their hard drives. Yeah. (laughs) One other way that the government loves to funnel money upwards uh, is uh, this little one that uh, was reported on this week uh, in The Guardian. This is uh, There's a fund called the Employment Parity Initiative, uh, which is part of the Indigenous Advancement Strategy. Basically, it is a fund that is trying to get more employment for Indigenous people in Australia. And the way that it's doing that is if you're a company and you hire an Aboriginal person, uh, you get a little you get a little bonus from the government. Um, the, the, that doesn't go to the Aboriginal person at all. They've got a job now. Oh, You're the employer. Fuck. You get the money. Um, and the even uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> like even there was, that, that, that's not the bad bit, by the way. The bad bit's coming up. That's the that's the <laughs> thing working as intended as that's it should the be. The principle of it is when it's going well. The Liberal um, Party are about to make that worse. Mm, and f- yeah. fuck. So, uh, Senator Lydia Thorpe has pointed out that, in uh, Senate estimates, that at least $91.7 million of the money in the Employment Parity Initiative has been allocated to just 10 of Australia's biggest companies, including Crown, West Farmers, Woolworths, Fortescue Metals, and Accor Hotels. This is a fund that's like, how do we get Indigenous people jobs? And the government is like, we will do it. 
by giving $90 million to casinos and mining corporations because that's the only button we have on this desk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're just going to hit it every time. And then fucking the mining corporations are constantly going, ah, but we should be able to blow up this sacred site because we're giving jobs to the indigenous people and they want us here because we give them jobs. And it's like, yeah, because you're the one holding the money the government gave you to give to the indigenous people. And now you can use that as a stick to make them do what you want. This quote from Lydia Thorpe, just outlining exactly the problem. Our communities need this money. And if you want to close the gap, I would stop giving money to mining corporations and these big corporations who are raking it in. They just don't need the money. It needs to go to the people. And then Liberal Senator Amanda Stoker (laughs) countered, the employment outcomes for Indigenous people are something the Coalition deeply cares about. And we regard this as money that goes directly to the grassroots, going into the pockets of Indigenous people. It's going... It's not... It's not. (laughs) (laughs) You can't regard something that's going to somebody else as money that's going directly into the pockets of Indigenous people because that is not what is happening. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You can't call it grassroots if it's Crown and Woolworths and Fortescue Medals. That's not (sighs) what's the the thing. Wow. Fuck. Wow. <laughs> These people. Is, uh, rough um, chuckles again. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> Just this money goes directly to indigenous people via it it this is grassroots money starting at the top, starting with Twiggy Forest, and then hopefully trickling down eventually to the grassroots. That's that that not phrase there. Gross. We regard this as money that goes we regard this as money that yep. goes directly to the pockets of indigenous but it's it doesn't. It's not. No. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it literally just doesn't. That. This is, they just don't care about words. They just don't care about words. I'm sorry, but this is just criminal mafioso shit. This is just the same thing that all types of organised crime talk about. Like, oh, we're here for the community. You know, we're like, you know, sure, you know, whatever our bad things might be. The, the money goes into the community through us. Like, they are criminals. It's a criminal organisation. When Amanda Stoker said that statement, at what point... Did anyone say, actually, no, what do you mean by that? What do you mean this is going into the pockets of Indigenous people? It's literally not. What we need there are journalists in the audience who go, get fucked. (laughs) (laughs) They need comedians. If if it's on the face of it, $91.7 million are going to these companies. At what point was there no journalist to say, actually, did it though? (laughs) Well, the companies can say, oh, we've employed a few hundred Indigenous people and stuff. But that it's, it doesn't change the fact that they presumably were getting labour from those Indigenous people. Yeah. The Indigenous people who are getting hired there are not getting any money at all. They are just getting paid for the work that they are yeah. doing. The company is getting free cash. What we could have done there is just had a regulation that said, if you're interviewing a bunch of people and, and a bunch of them are Indigenous, like, maybe hire some of those indigenous people, like make sure that you're hiring a representative sample of your communities. Yeah, there's just quotas. If you want to be eligible for government funding, some percentage of your staffing has to be indigenous. Done. Case closed. The Employment Parity Initiative could be if you don't have X amount of First Nations people employed, you get taxed more. But instead it's inverted. Have money for doing it. Well, you don't even need to say you get taxed more. You just say you have to. (laughs) Well, there's that the as government. well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're making the rules. <laughs> but anyway, Lydia Thorpe is 100% correct. None of these fucking companies should get any of this money because it needs to go to community. It yeah. just needs to go straight to the people who are working in those communities who actually understand the individual problems and solutions for those specific areas as opposed to... The, like this idea as well that Woolworths, a national company that mostly makes its profits off of pokies, giving them money is going to help all of these individual different communities around the place that have their own problems. What are yeah. you talking it's about? Multiple casinos in there. You got Crown as well. Like they, uh. they, they shouldn't be getting any money at all from the government. The thing that they should be getting is a curse that prevents them from sleeping without constant nightmares. Like- <laughs> I feel if you are an organisation that is currently the subject of a royal commission, you should not be getting money in this manner, but just me though. Oh my God. Fuck. Ah, oh, we haven't even got to vaccine. That's what the government's saying, am I right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> McLean, no. <laughs> so one more thing for this week. Uh, we're going to talk about vaccines. So first up, 
I just want to say we're not going to talk about it in any sort of actual effectiveness or any risk or anything. We're not boomer Twitter. We're not droplet Twitter. Um, We're not scientists, more importantly. And vaccines are very complicated. So we don't want to talk about like, you know, which one's better or which one's worse. And, And because I, to be quite honest, I don't understand any sort of medical statistics or really what is going on with that. But that being said, the actual mechanics of distributing vaccines isn't complicated and Australia has fucked it. And we really need mm. to talk about how Australia Woo! has fucked it. We yeah. fucked it. We fucked it. No, hold on. They fucked it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't in charge of vaccine distribution. I didn't fuck it. <laughs> I did really well. So what happened this week uh, is basically Scott Morrison sat everyone down uh, at 7.15pm uh, of an evening and said, hey, guys, by the way, just wanted to let you know we're gonna we're gonna pause the vaccines for some people because uh, we we're we're worried about the risks. We're worried about blood clots. And most of Australia went. Some people are getting vaccines. <laughs> <laughs> just the the Scott Morrison like, hey hey, can we have a chat later? And everyone just seizing up like, what? Why? It's just like <laughs> we need to talk. Yeah, we we fucked up. It's like, oh, phew. I thought it was going to be some new horrible thing that we didn't realize for the last fucking few months. Actually, <sighs> who was it that was like, I've got some bad news about the vaccines. The government is dealing with the vaccines. <laughs> um, because yeah, a little while ago, he, didn't he say something like, "Oh, we're gonna have everyone vaccinated by March or some shit"? Yeah, that was literally the first thing he said when they announced the the vaccine rollout. He said that he wanted like eight hundred and something thousand people vaccinated by the end of March. We'll have to get the exact statistics. Uh, the classic, not good pod, not having the statistics on hand. <laughs> the New Daily uh, did a roundup of all the different claims that Scott Morrison made and how they actually added up to what ended up happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he claimed in November, our strategy puts Australia at the front of the queue. Mm -hmm. Uh, As of about this month, unofficial websites tracking vaccine rollouts show Australia is at about 90th in the world in terms of vaccines (laughs) delivered. Here we go. He hoped by the end of March to have vaccinated 4 million people. (laughs) 4 million people. 4 million. Yeah, and that's by the end of March. And then a little bit later, uh, he was like, uh, by end of March, let's say early April, uh, it is now early April. We've got a little less than a million. Yeah. We've hit about a quarter of that. My brain didn't take it all in because whenever he speaks, my like bodily function just starts to sort of shut down. But <laughs> he was doing something as well where a journalist was asking him about like the problems with this rollout and whatnot. And they said, you, you said, you know, 4 million, whatever it was by the end of March. And now you've like, put these projections to October as well. Or like, you know, now we're expecting that number to be reached by October. And he's just, he's doing this like, no, no, never said that. Never said that at all. We were always talking about the second dose yeah. and the second dose in the most amount of people will be. And just a big part of this whole vaccine thing is that he just keeps saying things and then weeks later, months later at some point, like- Saying he didn't j- say j- them. Straight yeah. up lying about it. Yeah. And I have a working theory that he, like, got into politics around the, like, b- b- like before the Howard era and through that. I just don't think he's really internalized how the internet works with modern day politics. Because back in the day, you could do stuff like this and it would take ages to fact check. But nowadays, like, someone who just smokes a lot every day and then can just, like, put together really funny clips in this like that's what they do can just very quickly put together a really funny clip of him being like 4 million by March never said 4 million by March 20,000 people by never said 20,000 it's right there it's right in front of us. I, I, this is a theme that I'm always going to come back to on the podcast. I think that the idea that he hasn't figured out that, like, oh, he can say a thing, but then, you know, people will just, like, get a clip of it and they'll catch him in a lie. Mm. So, he keeps falling for this trap. It's like, maybe he has internalized it, but he's also internalized the demonstrable fact that no consequences come from that. Yeah, he's got no incentive to So, learn. he's just like, why would I ever even you know, make a gesture yeah. towards telling the truth about what's happening when I'm the prime minister, I'm still the prime minister, like, I'm a rich bastard, I, I can do whatever I want and I'll always get away with it. Every, like, wh- why wouldn't he lie? Every time he fucks up, he knows that the main consequence will be that Albo has to spend three hours trying to think of good pun about cards. 
<laughs> yep. The other thing that happened was right near the start, Scott Morrison put all his all his eggs in the AstraZeneca basket. Um, when everyone was like, "Let's get a good mix of the different vaccines," and he went, "Nah, we're all in on AstraZeneca. It's just one hundred percent the way you go." He, he and the rest of the politicians all got Pfizer, but that's not the point. They fucked up every level of the rollout. It's not even that they don't have enough vaccines. They don't have enough vaccines, but they have like three or four million doses, but they're not getting them out there. They haven't figured out distribution. They haven't figured out storage. They've done their classic thing of awarding a bunch of contracts to a bunch of rich mates who don't really know what they're doing. And they're not really caring about the results. I I really also, I just want to interject here too, that um, the opposition has not been particularly good on prosecuting this either because they get (laughs) basic elements of what is happening wrong themselves. It's it's genuinely maddening. Like earlier this week, I saw one of the union leaders posting that uh, yeah, Australia doesn't have the the facilities to manufacture vaccines. We fucking do. We have the yep. CSL facility that is literally in Melbourne manufacturing vaccines. We can do it. We have the capability. Yeah. And they can't even get that fact right. It's just, oh. Yeah, it would be nice if we hadn't defunded CSIRO and the rest of our, like, medical research and production facilities. Yeah. But, hey. Uh, this, is, this is my particular bugbear about this because – CSL used to be the Commonwealth Laboratories. Mm -hmm. It was an Australian company that got sold to the private market. Guess which government sold that off? Anyone want to take a guess? Was it the ones who sell everything off? No, it was the Keating government. The fucking Keating government sold it off. He loves to do that. To say that they fucked up the distribution... It also doesn't really give justice to the degree to which they fucked up the distribution. This is a story from a couple of weeks ago, but we were too busy talking about other fucked shit that the government did. But the government put out an announcement saying, like, listing a bunch of clinics that you could get the vaccine at. They just published this list out without giving the vaccine to those clinics or telling the clinics that they would be on the list. So, just a bunch of clinics got multiple days worth of their phones ringing off the hook with people wanting a vaccine and the clinics just being like, we, we don't have it. Just throwing hundreds and hundreds of clinics into absolute chaos. For for why? For what? Why why would you do that? There were also clinics that were like told they would be like part of it and they actually overhired and overstaffed and set up too much and then government officials just didn't rock up mm. so they spent oh money God. waiting for these government officials to rock up with vaccines and for procedures that just didn't arrive ever health minister greg hunt was asked if those clinics deserved an apology and in a god tier dodge he said <laughs> i think they deserve our thanks <sighs> no they don't what's he gonna do clap the vaccinators next <laughs> Fuck, that's good. No, I've got it fucking... That's gone That's gone through evil and hell all the way back around <laughs> to amazing. That's fucking amazing. It means nothing. He's going straight to hell when he dies, but that's fu- it's worth it for that. <laughs> they deserve our thanks. You motherfucker, you're in charge of doing the things. I'm like, no. But what I will do is I'll give him one of those nods where your head just goes up a little bit and you're like, yeah. And then as mm. then as I understand it, at that press conference, he did a little, like, home run gesture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for what, Greg Hunt? Oh, thanks for their patience <laughs> I've al- during the period that we fucked them. I've already made my statement. Uh, you can believe I've answered that question. Dude. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, we're so lucky, we're so lucky that we're in Australia where, like, there isn't COVID. Well, at the moment, none of us are vaccinated, so... <laughs> well, exactly. We are entirely running just on the good running of some state stuff, some harsh lockdowns, our our quarantine hotels, like, keeping it under check, more or less, and no one coming into the country. If we had any coronavirus out and about, there's no vaccinations to stop it. We are so lucky that we don't have it out because the government is fucking it up. In all honesty, and I'm stealing this from my husband who made this point on Twitter, so shout out to John, but (laughs) (laughs) what is probably the case is that Scott Morrison straight up, uh, what John said was like, if you put a gun to his head, 
today and said, do you believe that COVID is as serious as it is? He would be like, nah, I don't actually think it's real. I don't think it's like that big a problem, despite literally whatever else is happening in the world. He just doesn't see the vaccine as that big a deal. Yeah. 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 Shout outs this week. The workers at the McCormick Food Factory in Melbourne uh, with the United Workers Union have been on strike for the last three weeks. We've mentioned this before. They've been demanding better paying conditions. They fucking won. They won. Good source news this week. Hell fucking yeah. They retained all existing conditions plus a 3% pay rise each year, a 5K sign-on bonus. Strikes work. Strikes work. I guess they do. That's the that's the factory that makes the dipping sauces for like Nando's and KFC and stuff like that. Yeah, they they outsource to this sauce factory, I guess. Yeah, so go steal some of those dipping sauces. <laughs> yeah, get some nugs from McDonald's and get some Absolutely sweet and sour sauce. That. And Absolutely give d- no, yes. just steal them. God tier combo. Give, Sorry, it's don't true. give McDonald's any of your money. Go and get some of those <laughs> vegan nugs that you can get from an overpriced <laughs> place, and then go in and steal some sauce, or just talk to the like the sixteen year old behind the counter and be like, "Come on!" But no, he's like, "Come on!" Give me the dips. He'll just give you some free sauce, and then have you have your union dippy sauces to celebrate. Yeah, taste the labor. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. God damn it! <laughs> Ridiculous. So solidarity to the workers at McCormick. Thank you so much. That was an incredible effort. Yeah, there's a long strike and well, I mean, there's obviously been longer strikes, but that 3 weeks is is a is a, you know, it's hard to hold out for a long time and they bloody did it. They bloody won. Every successful strike makes further strikes possible. Mm. It, it it's a huge morale boost to anyone else who's striking or thinking of striking to be able to see that. So, those workers have put their livelihoods on the line to stand up for themselves, but also for all workers. Mm. So, yeah, debt of gratitude to McCormick. Enjoy your 3% pay rise each year. You you, you absolutely deserve it. <laughs> Strike again, get more. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at NotGoodPod and also shoot us an email, notgoodpod at protonmail.com. We really love hearing from everyone who sends in their comments and their clarifications and their corrections to us, which is great. If you've got a criticism, though, go fuck yourself. Also, the picks for the clips. That was a good one this week. Thanks to Horrible uh, Lizard for doing that. Good job, yeah, Liz. Yeah, that was neat. More art. We got fan art. Ba- like, art based on the episode itself, especially if you can get it to us like in that in-between period where we actually release the app, but before we do any advertising for it, <laughs> it really kicks our ass into gear to be like, yeah, no, true, okay. <laughs> Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.